welcome back to History Smashers Women's Right to Vote, Chapter 5, New Century, New Ideas. By 1900, the struggle for women's suffrage was in a bit of a rut. Women could vote in Wyoming, Colorado, Utah, and Idaho, but four years had passed without any more states getting on board. The National Amendment was being ignored, too. But a new group of leaders brought new energy to the movement, and across the sea, British women fighting for equality inspired some exciting ideas about how to do battle. Carrie Chapman Catt, that farm girl who loved animals, had grown up by then. She took over NAWSA when Susan B. Anthony retired in 1900. Unfortunately, Catt sometimes carried Anthony's legacy of racism. In the late 1800s, Kat gave numerous speeches that argued against voting rights for new immigrants. Every year we are receiving fewer good people and more of the slum element. A slum is like a, a not a very nice um, neighborhood to live in. Kat told people that new immigrants from Southern and Eastern Europe weren't as intelligent or patriotic as the old ones who came from Germany and England, and her ancestors had. She said these new immigrants were making a mess of everything. The only solution was giving white women the right to vote. Then they'd outnumber all those immigrants and make better decisions. Kat also gave a speech called Subject and Sovereign, in which she argued against Native American men getting the right to vote. She said by giving voting rights to the Sioux men in the West, the government was creating new sovereigns or rulers that white women would have to follow. When Kat took over NAWSA, she really wanted support from women in the South. Many white Southern women liked the idea of women voting as long as they didn't include black women. So in 1903, NAWSA prepared a statement suggesting that states should be able to develop their own positions on suffrage. In other words, it gave the South permission to discriminate against black women. As you can imagine, black women who had been working for suffrage all along were upset. They weren't surprised though. For the most part, the white women running the suffrage movement had left black women out of the conversation. Their only option was to form their own groups. Black women in the United States had already been working for their communities for a long time. Women like Mary Church Terrell, Mary McLeod Bethune, and Josephine St. Pierre Ruffin pushed for equality on their own terms. They created welfare groups to help people. They founded schools and health centers and orphanages. Now they turned their attention to the battle for women's suffrage. They figured they needed the right to vote as much as anyone. Being black and women and woman meant that they faced twice as much discrimination. Sanjana Truth, Harriet Fourteen Purvis, Adela Hunt, Logan, and Mary Church Terrell all spoke out about this double burden, the double burden being being black and being a woman. This is a quote by Mary Church Terrell. Not only are colored women with ambition and aspiration handicapped on the account of their sex, but they are everywhere baffled and mocked on the account of their race not only because they are women but because they are colored women our discouragement and disappointment meeting them at every turn mary church terrell was born into a family of people who had been enslaved she became one of the first black women in the united states to earn a college degree later she taught college and became involved in education issues in 1892 one of terrell's friends was lynched she was so angry that she had to act 
Terrell joined forces with journalist Ida B. Wells to speak out against lynchings. She also became friends with Frederick Douglass and Susan B. Anthony and attended suffrage meetings. The ongoing violence against black people was one of the issues that Terrell and others to form clubs for black women's civic and political engagement. Like white women's organizations, these clubs took on health, education, and suffrage issues. They focused on fighting racism and building the resources of the black community. Terrell's motto was lifting as we climb. In other words, she believed that black women who made progress would bring others along with them. In 1896, she was one of the founders and first president of the National Association of Colored Women, a coalition of black women's groups. Ida B. Wells was also instrumental in raising awareness of black women issues. Born into enslavement, she wasn't even five feet tall, but she made a big mark on the world as a journalist, suffragist, and civil rights leader. Her work is believed to have started with an 1884 train ride in Tennessee. She had bought a first-class ticket and was seated in the ladies' car, but was asked to move to another car. Wells said no, and when three white men tried to remove her, she fought back. Afterwards, she sued the railroad and won, but the Tennessee Supreme Court later overturned that decision. Ida B. Wells also led a major campaign against lynching. She made it her mission to name the many victims of violent racism who might otherwise have been forgotten. As a writer, she told stories of African-American life that had often been ignored. In 1895, she got married and became Ida B. Wells Barrett Barnett. The same year, she published a history of lynching in America. Wells Barnett was a powerful speaker. She traveled across the country and overseas to raise awareness of lynching and racism in the United States. Her work eventually led to the passing of several anti-lynching laws. She was a force in the women's suffrage movement too. But like other black women, Wells Barrett found, Barnett found that white women's groups weren't very welcoming. Wells Barnett often criticized even her friends and allies when she felt they weren't fully committed to the cause. She didn't suffer fools and she saw fools everywhere, her grandson was quoted as saying in her obituary. In 1913, Wells Barnett founded the Alpha, Alpha Suffrage Club, the first, women, first black women's suffrage club in Chicago. The group became well, a well-known political force and urged black women to vote as a group to help win elections. Bostonian Josephine St. Pierre Ruffin was an activist who had known the sting of racism since she was a girl. She had light skin. So many people assumed she was white. When school officials found out she had a black parent, they kicked her out. Ruthen became involved in civil rights and suffrage causes during the Civil War. From 1890 to 1897, she published the first black newspaper by and for black women called The Women's Era. She integrated the New England Women's Club, changing the rules so that both black and white women could be members. Ruffin worked with Julia Ward Howell and Lucy Stone to form the American Women's Suffrage Association, or the AWSA. Ruffin fought for voter rights alongside many white women, but when she saw racism, her newspaper wasn't afraid to call it out. The exclusion of colored women and girls from nearly all places of respectable employment is due mostly to the meanness of American white women. Ruffin also founded the Women's Era Club, a group dedicated to anti-lynching and other anti-racism efforts, as well as women's suffrage. It was the first black women's club in Boston and the second in the country, but you didn't have to be black to be in the club. Some white women were early members too. Black women's clubs across the country supported the anti-lynching work of Ida B. Wells Barnett, but many white women who fought for voter rights still approved the lynching of black men. 
One of those white women was Rebecca Ann Leitmer Felton, who became the first woman to serve in the U.S. Senate. She used terrible slurs in talking about black men. She even argued those illegal lynchings were necessary to protect white women. The racist views of some white suffragists were one reason black women decided to form their own groups. In 1895, Rufin brought black women's clubs together for the first national conference of the colored women in America. Notable women, women, including Wells and Harriet Tubman, were there. Eventually, as the women realized they were all working toward the same goals, many groups joined forces. The National Association of Colored Women grew out of those partnerships, and Mary Church Terrell was its first president. Rufin served as her vice president. Adela Hunt Logan wrote nationally published articles and organized suffrage efforts among black women in Alabama. Logan argued that black women had to organize themselves because it was pretty clear that white women weren't going to include them. Logan often passed as, white, as a white woman because of her light skin, so she was able to go to meetings of white suffragists and then bring back news to her own community. Nanny Helen Burroughs promoted suffrage via the National Baptist Convention Women's Auxiliary. She argued that getting the vote would help defeat white supremacists in the South and improve conditions for black people. She also opened a training school in Washington, D.C. to help black women get jobs to support themselves. Mary McLeod Bethune was the youngest of 17 children born to enslaved parents. After the Civil War, she attended segregated South Carolina schools and went on to build her own schools in black communities. In 1904, she created the Daytona Literacy and Industrial Training School for Negro Girls and later merged it with the all-male school from Bethune-Cookman College in Daytona Beach, Florida. Bethune served as president, one of the few women of any race to serve as a college president. In the 1900s, Bethune turned her attention to the suffrage movement, but like many black women, she found that she wasn't welcome in the white women's groups. Instead, she joined the Equal Suffrage League, which grew out of the National Association of Colored Women. She continued to work for voting rights throughout her life. Later, Bethune would become an advisor to President Franklin D. Roosevelt. She served as director of Negro Affairs in the National Youth Administration, was also assistant director of the Women's Army Corps and special assistant to the Secretary of War. During that time, she worked on the development of the United Nations, an organization made up of countries from around the world coming together to solve problems and promote peace. Meanwhile, some white suffrage leaders were changing roles. There wasn't much progress happening with the national amendments, so Carrie Chapman Catt decided to focus more of her efforts on voting rights in the states. In 1904, she stepped down as president of the NAWSA, and Anna Howard Shaw took over the job. Like Susan B. Anthony and Carrie Chapman, Kat Shaw was a gifted speaker. And just like Anthony and Kat, she sometimes said racist things when she was talking to the people in the South. That's the end of page 84, and I'm going to stop right there.